0: Welcome to We Belong Here, lessons from unconventional paths to tech. I'm your host, Lauren Lee. And who am I? I was your wacky 10th grade English teacher who would occasionally rap a Shakespearean soliloquy, would always encourage a live performance of a book report, and would occasionally dress up in costume as Professor Dumbledore to host an ethics debate, who then, after nearly a decade, decided to take the massive leap of faith to attend a coding boot camp, switch careers, and dive deep into the tech industry. I've been surprised by how many of the skills and lessons I learned as an educator have translated to my role in tech. So that got me thinking, have you taken a non-traditional route to tech? Or are you interested in transitioning yourself? This is a podcast that aims to interview career changers and folks who are diversifying tech. We'll hear stories from people who've taken unique paths and chat about the skills that they've transferred to their roles today. We're hoping to create a space for people to learn from one another, develop confidence, and debunk the antiquated notion that a computer science degree is required to succeed in tech. Come on, everyone. Let's dive in. My guest today is a developer advocate at Google, where she is a positive and enthusiastic full-stack developer who is passionate to create spaces for people to gather, collaborate, and share knowledge to add value and increase personal growth. She worked in the nonprofit world for 10 years before learning to code in 2015 by attending Hackbright Academy in San Francisco, and went on to teach there for two years afterwards. Before working there, she led the Google Developer Group and was the woman tech maker lead. Her name is Jessica Danae Early Cha, and I am so excited to be talking with her. Thanks for being here today, Jessica.
1: Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Lauren, for inviting me. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so let's just dive right in. Let's start at the beginning, shall we? Okay, cool. So, can you tell me more about the experiences that you had before you entered
1: the tech industry? Oh yeah, totally. Well, my undergraduate was in sociology and I had a minor in education and applied psychology. Oh my gosh, me too. Wait, sociology ed. Okay, cool. Yeah, totally. Working with people, right? And just like seeing groups of people work and like that was always fascinating. So I'm sure you have yeah. like a lot of similar experiences in that sense. I love it. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry <laughs> to interject. Keep going. <laughs> I'm excited that you're excited. <laughs> wow. but yeah, that was my undergraduate. I, I, even when I was still in school, I started, volunteering with Girls Inc, which Mm -hmm. is a nonprofit that helps um, at-risk female youth. And that's what I fell in love with that. Just supporting young girls in becoming just stronger, being bolder, learning about self-care. So I did that in Santa Barbara and Goleta for a few years. And I moved down to San Diego and I worked at the Girls Inc. there for a few years. And then the weirdest thing is me and my partner, we moved to the Central Valley Mm. and there was no Girls Inc. there because it's a more rural community. And so the closest thing to that was Girl Scouts. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I worked at Girl Scouts. I mainly worked with the middle school and high school girls. Mm -hmm. So I did all of that within like about five years, um, all of those. And then I transitioned to mental health for my last five years of nonprofit. So I ran a mental health facility where we serviced about 120 clients a day. And it was run by peer support, which means we had no doctors or clinicians. It was all run by the folks from the community. And so half of my- my staff actually were hired from the community, so that was such an interesting and fantastic space because I really learned how to manage people well. Because mm-hmm. in those spaces, it's it's usually the extreme part. So I had folks who had extreme ADHD, extreme schizophrenia, and bipolar and depression, and just how to manage these different types of personalities and you know make us work together as a team and community to you know get healthier. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, from that in mental health, things happened. And when I had my first person, they They had an unfortunate situation where they kind of gave up hope and actually completed and committed suicide. That's when I realized, I I don't know if I could do this for many years. Um, Yeah, that was really hard. And I shout out to all the people who work in that space still because that's... (sighs) So much emotion, and that's where I realized, okay, Jessica, my own self care is really important. I and I had a hard time; I still do. I'm not being too empathetic with folks, like I really connect. And so that's when I was like, okay, I need to figure something else out. And the great thing is, somebody asked me something, and this was my light bulb moment where they were like, "Well, Jessica, if you had a Jessica in your life helping you, like how would your life be different?" And I was like, "Oh no, oh no, that I, I can't, I can't tell people to do things that they might be." scared scared. scared to do if I wasn't willing to do that as well. And so that's when I kind of did some self-reflection and I realized I really enjoyed computers and my partner had just gotten his master's in computer science and talking to him about things. I thought that was really cool. And I know my partner and I know he's not some genius. And so that helped me figure out, oh, programmers, developers, they're not the beautiful mind, like yeah. type of person where they could see numbers and patterns and like are super brilliant. It's, it's regular people. So that really encouraged me to try it out. And I went to my local college and I took a computer science class and I learned C++ there. And oh, that's great. But by the midterm, that's when I really fell in love. And I was like, I really like this. And wow. the language I was like, I, yes, let me do this. I want to try this. And that's when I discovered Hackbright there a friend. I t- was sharing with her how I was taking this class and she had just gone to Google I O and at Google I O the night before they have a women tech makers dinner, which is a program that Google does to connect and bring all the women that, that are going to I O together. And they have a dinner, which is great. And my friend Rio, she was telling me how she had dinner with a gal who went to Hack and And I should look into this whole bootcamp thing. Cause this was back in 2015 where bootcamps were just coming out. Yeah, early days. Totally. And I looked into it and my partner was super sweet because he was like, well, just apply. What's the worst case? Mm-hmm. you know?" And I was like, yeah. that's true. So I applied and then I had my first interview and I was so scared. He's like, just do it. Who cares? You go always say no later. And I passed the first interview, I passed the second interview. And by the end of it, I was like, oh my gosh, I really want to do this. I want it. Yeah, <laughs>
0: exactly. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. I have a very similar experience of... Because I went to Ada up in Ooh, Seattle, yeah. which is another female boot camp. And it was that same, should I do this? I don't know. Okay, well, what's the worst that happens? Like, just go to the interview. Okay, then just do the coding challenge. And suddenly being like, I need
1: this. I'm all in. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Feeling so grateful for it though. <laughs> oh my gosh. Totally similar story. It, it, it just takes that, at least for me, it was somebody going, what's the worst thing? They tell you no, you can know, nothing happened. I think he's speaking to how doable or breaking
0: through that feeling of it. It feels like something that I couldn't connect to, or something that I wouldn't be good at, and just being like, let me just try and take this class at my local school, and maybe just dip my toe into the water and try. It feels really brave of you too, and so really neat mm. that you found some
1: success in that early on. Oh yeah, yeah, and I, I've been really fortunate that through that process, my partner he ran GDG oh. in Fresno, the city where we living at the time, and so I already knew developers, and there was a community that actually me and him kind of started. He was the flagship person; he was a the person there, but he would come home and go how do I work with people and try to create community and because of my background I was like oh you know how yeah yeah. absolutely so we worked a lot on discussing creating that community and so I kind of felt part of it even though I wasn't technical so making that transition I was like oh I know women who are developers that's really cool (laughs) It's awesome. And so then you taught at Hackbright afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I was really fortunate. Well, Going through the actual class, I'm a natural teacher. Like I'm the Mm -hmm. person that I learn the best when I teach it. And so on Saturdays, I would host study sessions, just invite people, let's come together and let's talk and go over these things. And before I finished, because it's a 12 week program, I did my 11th week. And then by the 12th week, I was working at Hackbright as a TA. And I was blown away. I was like, wait, I just paid you a lot of money to take this class. Now you're going to pay me to be a TA and help teach this class? This is the perfect scenario. Wow. (laughs) Amazing gosh, for two years. I was a TA, a lab instructor, instructor, and then I left as their director of part-time education and I refilled their part-time class. So that was a lot of fun.
0: Oh, it's so important. Wow. And you're just giving back immediately to your community too. So that really says something about your character. That's awesome. Okay. So let's
1: bring us to today. Tell (laughs) me more about Google and what you do as a developer advocate. I'm still in awe of, (laughs) I work here. I work at Google. It still doesn't feel natural, even though it's been over a year. Oh my gosh. I love it. here. I love it. The role itself is perfect in the sense of a developer advocate. My role is I sit kind of between the product team and third party developers. And I work on Mm -hmm. Google Assistant, which is super exciting because it's kind of the latest thing in technology is this whole voice interaction. And so I get paid pretty much to build apps for Google Assistant. So I build my own so I can learn how to build, of course. Mm -hmm. And then those findings that I figure out, I usually document them and I write a blog post or a video to explain that to other developers on how to do the same thing. And of course, if I notice anything that's not good, I tell that back to the product team going, hey, this doesn't make sense from a developer's point of view, or this is a disconnect. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I go out to community events, and they people tell me, hey, Jessica, this doesn't make sense, or this or that, or maybe you should try doing this instead. So I gather all that feedback, categorize it, and rate it on priorities of like, okay, these mm-hmm. are things we actually do right now, and, and share that with the product team, and that way we can make it better. So it's this really cool space to be in where I'm still in technology, but I'm still in community, and I'm still in education. Wow. It's like a trifecta of beautifulness. Yeah, that's so incredible. That's awesome. Because you're such an <laughs> empathetic
0: listener, you know, participant in a community that you're really genuinely able to get that authentic feedback, I imagine, too.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. And I get, I definitely feel a lot of the frustrations at times. And it's been amazing <laughs> to see within the, the last year plus how much change there's been on the platform too. Right. So it's so exciting to be somewhere where it's cutting edge and it's a new space. So I know for me personally, I'm always looking to encourage people who are, have been marginalized, whether that be their gender, their color, ethnicity, and to encourage them that there's technically really no big expert in this field yet. Right. And so this is a great time for those folks to get into the voice space and to start building And being one of the first people to do that. That way, in five years, they're considered the expert. Right. Why not you? Exactly. You'd be the person then. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. (laughs) That's very, very cool. How empowering, I imagine, to hear that message. That's really cool. And sometimes it just takes an outside person to say, I see something in you and like Mm -hmm. share that Mm -hmm. with others. And so I definitely try to be as vocal as possible because I know I carry the Google kind of backing when people find out I work at Google. Like there's just a different way that people see you, which is Mm -hmm. fascinating within its own own self. But I'm trying to use that influence to be able to go to people be like, No, what you have is a value. And I want to hear that perspective. Yeah, Especially folks who come from a non traditional background, because we're seeing things very differently. And that's a lot of what's missing in tech. So I want to make sure that I kind of pass that forward of Hey, no, you're, you're amazing. I want to hear what you have to say. So then we can get better. Yeah, that's so important. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs>
0: okay, so can you tell me, Jessica, what kept you from entering the tech industry before you did?
1: Oh, gosh, It wasn't an option Mm -hmm. for me in my own head. Mm-hmm. In my own mind and my own kind of cultural upbringing. I'm from a small town called Caléxico and for me, just going to college meant I was successful. I did something that my my mother, my grandparents didn't do. Mm-hmm. My family's from Zacatecas, Mexico, so I thought that was enough and I was really interested in the people part and so I really thought there was, you're either a people person or you're not and if you're not, that's when you go into like STEM things. Sure. Yeah, and then there was also that fear of, I never thought of myself as very smart. You know, whenever you see things on media that had to do about like programming it was usually a demographic that didn't represent me and it was in situations that i'm like i don't understand what do they mean they could see the virus (laughs) on their computer like (laughs) i don't understand and they never (laughs) saw any sunlight i always felt like well no i don't want to just sit
0: in the basement all day that's not for me (laughs) yeah and then they were alone and like like, totally like all of those types no that makes sense i really relate to your answer So how would you say your your past as an educator, someone working in the nonprofit sector has helped you today in your role as a developer advocate? Uh, All the things. All the things. Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) Just being able to hear people and to teach. I think something that I really enjoy is getting a piece of information and trying to see Mm -hmm. it from different angles. That way I could create content that makes sense for different folks and their different paths of learning. Sure. Tapping into all the different modalities. So Mm -hmm. not just like a textual tutorial or something. Well, I don't learn by reading the docs necessarily. I, mm-hmm. I use the docs just as references if I need to figure out like a very specific. Yeah. Once you're in the weeds. Exactly. But like yeah. I'm more of the, let me see a video. I want to hear conceptually what is, what's going on. So mm-hmm. I'm definitely recording, gosh, I think I have like six videos in queue right now. <laughs> i recorded because that's how I learn. And I want to make sure that people who learn like me get that because we have yeah. really great docs already. We have blog posts, but we, we're missing that part. So I'm super excited to be able to fill that gap in. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Would you say that those skills
0: differentiate you from your coworkers who may have taken a more traditional route to tech?
1: The interesting thing is in DevRel, which is developer relations, you do get a lot more non traditional folk in this field mm-hmm. because it is that blend. You need soft skills and technical skills, which has been really. Interesting, but I would say I have three of my coworkers who also taught for boot camp. Oh wow, yeah, I was surprised when I joined. I was like, oh, I know about that boot camp. I I've seen you teach there. Mm, cool. So there's those elements, but when I compare myself or see kind of the generalistic, when I talk to people who have a traditional degree, what I've noticed, those folks tend to think in a particular, very systematic way, which mm. is great. I think we need those folks because it's yeah. very straightforward. I know I come more from a symbolism. This seems very much like something that's really common that could root the person I'm trying to teach to with that similar concept. Mhm. And so I think I think of things just a little bit more abstractly, a little more symbolically, like when I was teaching people what functions are and how the parameter name changes, Mm -hmm. or the value of a data point could change or the name of it Mm -hmm. change within a function as describing it as a house, like the function is its own house. And my partner might be named James outside of that function. But when we go into the function, his name might change to Jaime, which is the Spanish version of it. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of like going to my grandma's house. It's Mm -hmm. James, it just might be called something different in here. And then the moment he leaves the function or leaves the house, it's still James Mm. in other context. So great way to be thinking about that. I love that. Great explanation. Very cool.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. So Jessica, can you share any life lessons that you've learned since your transition
1: to tech? Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I don't think I would be where I'm at without community. Mm. Community was what helped me figure out And learn about other communities, of course. Um, Learning about Hackbrite and Hackbrite's community led me to other ones. But really being able to find people who are there to support you and create a safe space. So I'm a firm believer on whether it's something like GDG, which is Google Developer Group, or other meetups where they support and encourage and just connect you with other folks and other events. So I definitely encourage people, please do that. And if you're the type of person who has the resources and the time, I always encourage volunteer. Volunteer at at these meetups meetups or at different organizations to teach and to share your knowledge because you never know what's going to happen. Even with Hackbright, we downsized and I was one of the folks that was let go. Mm-hmm. And I remember being just so sad that day when they told me you have until the end of the week. But I got severance, which was great. That was like the best situation. But I remember being really mm-hmm. sad and thinking like, what did I do wrong? And it was nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. It was something like that. There was a small startup and mm-hmm. the things I had done were done and they completed. And so it was no longer needed and that's a okay. And I gave myself time to grieve. So I gave myself a few weeks to be sad and to be not happy about this. Mm-hmm. But then I turned around and I told the different community I was part of, Hey, I'm looking for work. And because of that, I got so many referrals of different companies. And I was like, Oh my gosh, my job search is so much more easy because I have folks who have seen the quality of work as a volunteer that they were like, yes, I want you to work with us too. So that was the surprising thing I wasn't expecting, but it might be a nice motivator for other folks of like, no, it's worth it because in the end it could be your next job. Right.
0: Absolutely. And they know you now as a human too. And so they know you as a candidate, but also can really advocate for you in that referral process mm-hmm. or whatever it is. It just
1: makes for a really rich list of opportunities that you could explore then. And that's how I got this job here. Someone referred me to Google and I was like, oh, well, thank you. Wasn't I, I didn't know them personally. And they just saw me and they knew me through community because so-and-so had something really great to say. And they saw some me give it a talk mm. they're like yeah she's really good so oh, it's wonderful definitely. community so that's one component of it that I would suggest for folks as some advice is that and the other one is definitely as somebody who made a transition in their early 30s late 20s I lean into kind of the noob mm. space like I definitely into the I don't know, and I'm okay with not knowing and asking questions. Yeah, because someone turns around to me and they go, "You don't know this." I could turn around, and be like, "I started learning how to code three years ago." <laughs> no, I <no. laughs> And then they go, "Like, oh my gosh, really?" And it's like, "Yeah, I'm happy that you don't see me in that light, but just a reminder: Hey, I, I, I might not know these things, and being okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that it's not a reflection of your intelligence or anything like that, or you know that you are not capable. Just just that you haven't been exposed to it yet. And so yeah. tell, tell me. Man, what is this? Tell me more. <laughs> Literally today I was in a meeting and they're talking. I have no idea what's going on. And I turned to somebody, we're over video and it's just me and one other person in the room. And I was like, I don't get it. And it was, we were on mute and I was sharing. I don't get it. He's like, okay, hold on. And then at the end of the meeting, he spent good 10 minutes and we were drawing on the whiteboard. He's like, and then this, and then this, and this is a new thing that we're developing. Mm -hmm. um, I just haven't been looped in. And he just spent time explaining it. And he turned around. He's like, Jessica, thank you for letting me explain this. Cause now I know what to do. Yeah. And I know how to document this better.
0: Oh, that's so important. Yeah. So asking those questions is really, it helps the company too, Mm -hmm. that perspective. That's important. Okay. So can you tell me about a time that you have felt like an outsider and how you have dealt
1: with those feelings? All all the time. (laughs) Yeah. When I first started working here at Google, there was a big disconnect, Mm -hmm. not out of any lack of my teammates or Google or any of that. My first few weeks, I really wasn't talking to my coworkers. And I was talking to the folks who either were staffing the micro kitchens or the people who were in the cafeterias and the cafes and mm-hmm. the front desk. And those folks were generally Hispanic. And I talked to them way more I talk- than I talked to my coworkers because I just didn't feel like I belonged. Mm-hmm. It was hard in the beginning. And I knew it, it wasn't anyone, anything that anyone said. I was invited to lunch every single day. Everything that a, a good team should have done, mm-hmm. they did it. Yeah. It was me. And I worked primarily for most most of my career with mainly women. Being in all the nonprofit space, it's, yeah. it's majority women. And then in Hackbright, it was majority women. This was my first job that I had where there wasn't that many women. And I just, I didn't know that would affect me as much. Even though I knew female engineers outside of here, just in my media team, there was only two women on my team. Now we've grown and we've added another like four. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And two of them are from Hackbright um, that I was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, these two people are amazing. And like my team hired them, which was great. So great. But it was it was all me. And it wasn't until I sat down and I started processing that of like, why am I feeling this way? And why do I feel disconnected? I shared it with one of my coworkers, And I was like, Hey, this is kind of I've been feeling the past couple weeks. I'm feeling much better. And he was so sad. He's like, Oh my gosh, Jessica, what can we have done? I'm like, Nope had nothing to do with you guys. You guys are amazing. It was just something I had to go through and be okay with and to recognize that my normal is now different. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad or a good thing. It's okay. And I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. So that was something that had to do with just more me feeling like I didn't belong, especially... Belonging at Google, there's a huge like imposter syndrome. I shared this with my partner. I framed it this way. I kind of felt as though my application was stuck on someone else's application that actually got in, and so I got in <laughs> that way. <laughs> Even like, oh. I know that's not true. It was that feeling of. Oh. they they, they must have made a mistake. (laughs) Yeah. No, I hear
0: you. Oh gosh. It's so hard to combat it. And like even naming it and saying it out loud being like, I know, I
1: know, but (laughs) that's how I feel sometimes. (laughs) I give myself that space to be like, well, that's not a good feeling. And Mm -hmm. I acknowledge it and I go, okay, what can I do to counter it? And so I try to do things all the time. Whenever I I do feel the imposter syndrome, like I don't belong here, but what's great too is my team. I've invited them over to my home and we play board games. And so now I have these great relationships and now I'm like, Oh, like I feel so much better. I feel really connected. Oh, that's great. Okay, Jessica. And for those that are interested in entering the DevRel umbrella of a job space, can you possibly give any advice for those? Yes. Let's see. The first thing is anything that you learn, write a blog post about it. Mm -hmm. It might feel weird, but it it serves a few purposes. One for your own learning, because when you learn a new technology, the fact that you can articulate it and frame it in a different way is always great. That way you can really learn the material. And that material also seconds as your own resource. I have spent many times Googling on my own blog, (laughs) like the link that I really learned something from. That's one thing that blog post does. Another thing it does, it tells other people that you can communicate effectively. It's a working portfolio. Exactly. And so that really lets folks know kind of what you're doing. And that way it serves those two purposes really. And then go to any meetup and offer to do talk. Anything that you've mm-hmm. done, do a talk about. And I know sometimes that could be really fearful or scary. And so I usually tell people, learn something that you, like build something you want to build. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll use the example, I did my in-laws, they're Korean and they're from Korea. So their English is very limited. And my Korean is very limited. And I remember sitting with them one day and I was like, I really wish there were subtitles. So I could really understand them." Mm. we were planning our wedding. I was like, oh, I could communicate that with them via text message. And it would be really great if you could just translate my text from English to Korean to them. And then their Korean text to English to me. Yeah, and I was like, that'd be really cool. And I can learn like a couple of new APIs. So I, I built this little this little project up it was literally just for me and my in-laws. And I built it up and I put it on my GitHub and I documented it on my GitHub of explaining what it is. And then I wrote a blog post about it. And then I wrote a technical talk off of it. But it literally started with a, this is what I would like to do for myself. And from that, I was able to grow that into different mediums. And so I didn't have to put as much work into doing the slides for a talk because I already had the blog post. And mm. I already had the th- blog post because I already documented on my GitHub. And I already had that because I actually wrote the code. And so you don't necessarily have to think of it as how do I do a tech talk immediately. You could go back to your old projects. What have I done? Exactly. Definitely do talks, write blog posts. Oh, something that's for everyone, at least a a suggestion is on all your social media accounts, your LinkedIn, your GitHub, if you're on Twitter or anything else, make sure the photo is the same (laughs) because recruiters have a hard time finding people knowing, is this the Jessica early that's on this one? Are they the same? And so my suggestion, if you're looking for work, have everything linked to one another and then all your photos be the same.
0: I love it. It's very tangible. We can all go out there and change that right now. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Jessica, speaking of social media, where can people find you online? Oh
1: my gosh. I am very active on Twitter and that's my Twitter handle is Chata Sweeney, which is spelled C-H-A-T-A-S-W-E-E-T-I-E. Chata is my childhood nickname. So, a little bit. Yeah. so I'm very active on Twitter and then um, I'm also active on Instagram as well. And I believe that's just my name, Jessica Early. But I'm sure if you find my Twitter, you'll find everything else, which is great.
0: Fantastic.
1: Well, Jessica, it has been incredible chatting with you today. Thank you so much for
0: sharing all of your wisdom and advice for listeners and everyone go check her out and give her some love. And
1: thank you for sharing everything that you did today. It was really wonderful chatting with you. Thank you so much, Lauren. I really appreciate it. This has been such a great experience. Thank you
0: and that's a wrap on another episode of we belong here lessons from unconventional paths to tech be sure to rate and subscribe anywhere you can find podcasts and check us out next week for another story and lessons learned from an unconventional path to tech